I'm exhausted from today's. Yeah, it must have been kind of cool to talk to the wife of a person who's in the Radio Hall of Fame. <laughs> you know, someone who's really accomplished something. And not no, just they like, give the they, they give that out to just any other really? now. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I no, guess. we had we had Catherine uh, Limbaugh on. Yeah, that was uh, really cool. And she's just a remarkable woman. So kind and gracious. And uh, but she has a new book out that Rush actually started to write with her mm-hmm. while he was dying. Um, and uh, she reminded me of this thing called optimism, which I had forgotten about. Yeah, I had too. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I didn't know it existed. Yeah. But a, just a really, at least for me, it was emotionally draining for me. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, we thought we talked about this during uh, when we were off the air, but this is the first election that we we're going through without Rush Limbaugh. And we talked to her about that. That's, I mean, that's a that's a big statement, and I, it didn't really hit me until we started talking to her. Yeah. We do talk to a couple of candidates in some of the biggest races in the country as well. Uh, Don Bolduc in New Hampshire today. Liked him. Yeah. I think you will, too. Yeah. Eric Schmidt. Uh, we him. like him a lot uh, yeah. in Missouri. Uh, so a couple of big candidates there. And uh, I think it was a good show. It was a great, a great podcast. Um, make sure you, uh, you listen to all of it. It's really good. And a reminder, tomorrow... I think I said on today's podcast that it was tonight, but it is actually tomorrow uh, a podcast that you can find on my Glenn Beck YouTube page. Also, Blaze will get it a few hours early. My interview with Carrie Lake. It is going to be great. I I love her, Um, but let's see if she has, let's see if she really has the stamina to to take on the things that she's going to have to take on in Arizona. That'll happen tomorrow on a special podcast that you'll be able to find on YouTube or Blaze TV if you're a subscriber. Uh, brought to you by Goldline. Americans, you need to know that uh, it is possible to use your retirement account to acquire precious metals. Not only is it possible, it probably is a little bit wise. The dollar is jacked up and everybody is feeling inflation. We're feeling inflation. Too many dollars chasing too few goods. The way that the world always resets after something as bad and catastrophic as this is with gold. And it is a big deal right now. If you want to protect what you have, what you've saved, please consider gold or silver precious metals. Call Goldline today. Tell them that I sent you from the podcast and give them the code MYB. Mind your business. They're giving away silver bars right now just as a thank you for calling in. So request the information. Do your own homework. Goldline.com. Call them 866-GOLDLINE. 866-GOLDLINE or goldline.com. You're listening to... The best of the Glenn Beck program. So the debate last night in Florida went probably, I think, as expected. Uh, DeSantis crushed. Uh, Charlie Chris was just kept trying to focus on abortion rights. Whoa, 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 whoa. What? What? DeSantis crushed? What debate were you watching? <laughs> I <laughs> yeah, was I, I was f- closely following the New York Times coverage on this. And, yeah, were you? Uh, yeah, I got a totally different huh. picture of this. Like, for example, that time when uh, when <laughs> a good old Rod DeSantis always always going to it, always with those misleading Republican claims. Like last night when he said Mr. Christ was supporting abortion up until the moment of birth. 
This is a common Republican claim, but oh, abortion until the moment of birth doesn't exist. I, they literally wrote that sentence in the New York it's Times. It's called partial birth abortion. No, it does not exist. No, I am <laughs> curious on this because we've seen many cases where it did exist mm. and people were arrested for it. So those people obviously should be let out of prison. Can I ask well, you, do you think the writers at the New York Times think they're Jedis? I, yes. I think honestly. That's not the abortion you were looking for. I was reading their coverage today and I think you might be onto something. I think they think they can wave their hands. What, what do you mean it doesn't exist? What, what does that mean? Now, you could say it doesn't occur frequently. It's not an incredibly common uh, procedure. You could certainly make that point, and that would be valid. It's not the most common type of abortion. To say it does not exist is like, it's insanity. What do you mean it doesn't exist? <laughs> <laughs> what, what are you talking about? War is peace. Right. Like, and, and, and let's just say for a moment it didn't exist. Mm-hmm. It still should be illegal, right? right. Like uh, Art the Clown from Terrifier 2 does not actually exist. He's a movie character. However, killer clowns should still be outlawed, <laughs> right? And the point of the comment from DeSantis is that Christ doesn't want it outlawed. He wants it to be legal. He wants it to be up to the woman whether the killer clown comes and decapitates think about the how, worker at his Think about store. how weak you are as an individual if you only read the New York Times and other. Yeah. You are now accepting that things that exist in the real world don't exist. Yeah. And things that don't exist in the real world do exist. Right. It's incredible. I mean, you have no chance of survival. But let me give you, can I give you a couple, another example from yeah. the DeSantis debate? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, uh, DeSantis also said Mr. Chris supported dismemberment abortions, a pejorative term for procedures performed later in pregnancy. Oh, I guess if you're dismembering a baby... You could describe it as pejorative because it is a negative connotation. The whole taking the baby apart thing. There is some negative association with that. Again, they don't but there's deny also that's the, what occurs during the abortion. They don't say that's not what he's describing it inaccurately. Yeah. It's just a negative way of saying taking the baby apart. <laughs> <laughs> Can you? But there's positive ways. There's positive right. ways, like he could have grown <laughs> up to no. be a killer clown. Again, this <laughs> he was in a clown suit this, inside the womb. This procedure belongs in the killer clown movie. <laughs> that is where it should be. It should be something supported by half of the country. And by the way, it's not half of the politicians in this country. Yes, but then. You go over to the house where Nancy Pelosi is running. She's trying her best to get Democrats elected. Can I give you some quotes from the sure. piece that came out? That was the DeSantis piece that you just heard. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'll, uh, should I give you the one more DeSantis one? It's pretty good. Yeah, go. All right. I'll give it to you. He gave also a graphic and inaccurate description of gender affirming care for transgendered children, suggesting falsely that doctors were mutilating minors. In reality, gender-affirming care, which major, major medical associations, including pediatric associations, endorse, primarily involves social support. 
<laughs> non-permanent treatments like puberty blockers <laughs> and hormonal treatments. So all of the videos you've seen of doctors, surgeons describing how many times, bragging to their DEI departments, how often they've done these surgeries, that also doesn't exist. It's just social support. It's just, yeah, you go, Jill, you're really John. That's all it is. <laughs> Do you believe this Ron DeSantis character? But on the other side, in the house, <laughs> yeah, mm -hmm. Nancy Pelosi yeah, also got covered. Mm -hmm. And I think you'll say this is the same type of treatment that Ron DeSantis received. Here's some quotes from the. These are all real quotes from the article today. New York Times in peak form. This may be peak New York Times. Wow. I, I'm. Maybe it was when they were denying the Holodomor, but I will say <laughs> it might just be today. Okay. okay. Ms. Pelosi, this is a quote after multiple articles about how rich the new prime minister and how awful and rich and how he's privileged the new prime minister of, of, yeah, yeah, of yeah. Great Britain. Yeah. The Ms. woman with the ice cream drawer in her. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Got it. Ms. Pelosi is an 82 year old juggernaut in Armani. Actual quote. A juggernaut in, in Armani, Armani, as in Giorgio Armani. Yes. So okay. for her, uh -huh. it's a wonderful attribute that she owns these incredibly expensive clothes. Yes. The article directly above it, just how rich is the new prime minister of Britain? Rishi Sunak's ascent is breakthrough for diversity with privilege attached. Okay. Back to Pelosi. Her energy level amazes and inspires her troops. Mm. I'm surprised her staff is not on record saying that she's lazy. I don't know. I'm surprised they couldn't get that <laughs> quote out of them. You know, she's actually lazy and awful. I don't know. She is masterful, said Representative Haley Stevens, a wow. Michigan Democrat. Mm. At, and this one, I don't know what to make of this. I would like your opinion on what to make of this quote. As she campaigned last week, she carried in her purse... A sausage. <laughs> this, is a real, this is a real quote. As is she campaigned any... last week, she she carried in her purse a sausage wrapped in a bow presented to her by a fan. <laughs> what? what fan walked up to Nancy Pelosi and said, Madam Speaker, here's a sausage. <laughs> Wrapped in a bow. And she's carrying it around in her purse. Who carries a sausage in her purse? I don't. I do not want to answer that no. as I may be on trial with the FCC. <laughs> I gotta take a break. I gotta take a break. <laughs> a sausage. Uh, uh, stop. She has a purse stop. sausage. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Nancy Pelosi is walking around. Mm. You want to talk about signs of dementia? Isn't number one on the list? You're carrying a sausage in your purse. <laughs> Where did I put that sausage? Uh, okay. If out of the blue one day, someone just gave you a chance to save seven, that's in the New York, New York Times. Times. This is the best of the Glenn Beck Program.
Eric Schmidt is joining us now. He's running for U.S. Uh, Senate. He is currently the Missouri Attorney General. Hello, Eric. How are you? Good to be with you. I'm doing great, Glenn. Hey, uh, I just have to ask you, does some of your tenacity come from the fact that your, I think it was your grandfather, was in the 7th Army, which, if I'm not mistaken, the 7th was Patton, wasn't it? Well, he was in the uh, he was in the uh, the forty fourth infantry division, and they saw a lot of combat. And my grandfather had a eighth grade education and fought in World War II. Came back, started a, a butcher shop uh, where you know he raised a family. My dad worked seven days a week in the midnight shift, and so yeah, I think I think I got some of that grit and determination from my family and that work ethic. Because there's a lot of work to do, but uh, oh, I'm certainly blessed to have to be in a position to do some of this stuff. So um, I want to talk to you about two things, ESG and uh, the COVID investigation. Can we start there? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Yeah, there's a lot to talk about. Which, which one do you want to talk about, ESG or, or, or the COVID investigation? Yeah, let's do that first. The court yeah, so, gr- um, granted your request to depose Anthony Fauci and also Jen uh, Psaki and, and others about the administration colluding with social media to uh, to s- suppress free speech. Yeah, so we filed the lawsuit, and uh, it's a landmark lawsuit when we filed it in the spring. We've been fighting all summer to get uh, discovery, which we've received, and now we've got an order to take the depositions of Fauci and Saki under oath and others, which is a big... Uh, um, a big thing in this case to get to the truth, because as you know, Glenn, the, the First Amendment is the beating heart of our Constitution. We're born with the right to speak our minds and have opinions, and government's role is to protect that right, certainly not to infringe upon that right. And what we've seen, especially during COVID, was a government outsourcing its censorship to big tech giants like Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. And through this discovery and this lawsuit, we found out that they were holding weekly censorship meetings that, that uh, senior Facebook officials were texting the Surgeon General of the United States saying, hey, yeah, we took that one down. What else can we do? I mean, coordinating directly wow. and co- colluding directly with the government to silence people, to deplatform them, to, you know, to essentially silence them. And uh, we also know that, uh, uh, you know, obviously Anthony Fauci was a part of this. Jen Psaki was, you know, when she was press secretary, spoke openly about how they were flagging posts. Right for Facebook. And so now for the first time, we get a look under the hood. We've actually got the documents to prove this was actually happening. But on Friday, we got a court order to take Fauci's deposition. And I just think um, for a lot of reasons, Glenn, this is critical because what we saw during COVID was wasn't about the science. We know that it wasn't about anything like that. It was about power and control. And if you dared to disagree, if you dared to have a dissenting opinion, I mean, they came after you. And not just MSNBC and these, you no. know, crazies on the Individuals. left, but the government. Oh, yeah, the yeah. The government of the United States. Correct, correct. Uh, the government was using um, these, I mean, it is, it's a public-private partnership between social media and the White House and the government, and it's absolutely wrong. So you're investigating this. What is, what's the ramification if you can prove this in a court of law? What what happens? What's the penalty? Well, ultimately, yeah, I mean, ultimately, we're seeking to enjoin it to stop it. But I think, Glenn, um, maybe the most important work that could come from all of this, there's a lot of, I suppose, repercussions down the line, but exposing this, because, you know, this would be the job of, uh, of a press that wasn't so aligned, right, with right. the Biden administration. 
And by the way, part of this investigation also is not just what was happening during COVID, but, you know, uh, we also are taking the deposition of, um, of a, um, an FBI official who has bragged on a podcast about his working relationship with big tech and the Hunter Biden laptop story. So all of these things that, you know, people were pointing out as this is, you know, this is unbelievable. We can't believe this is happening in the United States of America. This is Orwellian. In this lawsuit, we get the opportunity to actually show documents, to show emails, to show text messages in these sworn depositions that will be taken. What was actually happening? And I don't care what your political stripe is, but this ought to scare the bejesus out of everybody. I mean, this is the kind of stuff that um, you see happening in other countries, that if it was happening in other countries, our State Department would be warning us about the level right. of censorship right. and government action and authoritarianism. Uh, and I think we have to stand up and we have to push back. And, uh, you know, I've been unafraid to do so. And we're, and we're making progress. Um, let me just tie it to the Senate. Will you take this kind of stuff to the Senate? And do you have enough allies in the Senate to get this on the table and on the agenda? I hope so, but this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to take the same fighting spirit I've had as Attorney General and take it to the Senate because I think a very important role over the next two years, assuming we take the majority, which will be very important, um, is this oversight role. And you've got to have tough people who are unafraid to ask these questions. And I've said, you know, when, when Fauci announced that his retirement in December, um, you know, that should not excuse him from being, you know, called before Congress. So Fauci oh, yeah. ought to clear his calendar for 2023. Because it's not just about the COVID censorship. We still need answers on what he knew about the, you know, gain-of-function research, his role with that, right? Covering it up with the World Health Organization, not being honest with the American people, coordinating with the teachers' unions to shut down schools and force five-year-olds to wear masks. We cannot let this stuff ever happen again. And the only way we're ever going to do that is to get answers, hold these people's feet to the fire, and I'm committed to doing that. We ought to bring in senior Justice Department officials, why is it our Justice Department is targeting, you know, political enemies? Why is it okay for pro-life, you know, folks to be targeted? Why are parents being investigated under the Patriot Act for showing up to school board meetings? Uh, there's a lot of things we need to do, but I'm going to be right in the center of it. I promise you that. Eric Schmidt, who is uh, running for uh, U.S. Senate and uh, currently, Stu, beating his opponent, right, in the polls. Yeah, seems that way, yeah. although you can never be too sure. Make sure you go out and vote. Yeah, vote, 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 vote. Um, Eric, I want to talk to you also here about your work on ESG. You have led yeah. 19 states in a coalition to launch an investigation into six major banks over ESG investing. Tell me about this. Yeah, no, I know, Glenn, this is something you've been talking about for a very long time, and and this is real. And I think the American people are becoming more familiar with the term and what it means and what the repercussions could mean for the United States. So, you know, six of the largest banks, we launched an investigation into them. We issued subpoenas. We launched that uh, early last week um, to get at their involvement in this net zero banking alliance. And what is that? It is a United Nations governs alliance among some of the biggest banks in the world, and to put that in perspective, they control about 40% of all the banking assets in the United States, these six banks. And what they've committed to do is to, by 2050, and benchmarks all along the way, have a portfolio that is a net carbon neutral portfolio. Now, what does that mean? Well, <clears throat> it means that they're going to cut off lending 
and capital for oil and gas um, and energy exploration, auto manufacturing, agriculture. I mean, this is far-reaching, and it is not uh, just about oil and gas. I mean, this gets at everything. For example, the farmer that has too many diesel-powered vehicles on his farm might not get that loan. I mean, this is incredibly scary stuff. They've committed to it, and so we've launched this investigation because this thing uh, sounds a lot like anti-competitive behavior. It sounds a lot like unfair trade practices, and so Missouri's leading the charge with these other states to investigate this and actually issue these subpoenas and get to the bottom of it because, Glenn, what we're seeing right now with inflation, obviously when you spend trillions and you cut off and you know domestic energy supply and declare war on American energy, you get higher prices for everything. That's what we're seeing right now. This is the long-term vision for that. This is to make sure that you know this happens in the long run, and everybody's going to pay a lot more for everything, and it's also feeding away American sovereignty. Big time. And the idea that the United Nations would be dictating who gets a loan what farmer gets a loan? What startup? You know, we have all the energy we'll ever need in this country to be energy dominant and to export that to our friends and allies around the world. And this is a direct threat to that, no doubt. So you sent a list of, of questions uh, about, you know, you're, you've, uh, you say you're part of the Global Climate Initiative. Identify who made the decision to join, uh, include any involvement or input from your board of directors, investors, covered companies, and your reasoning. What exactly are you doing? What is your participation level? What are you expecting to find? Uh, well, we've launched it, and we want to know more. Because, as I said, the legal issues here, this is not just, uh, you know, we could object to this um, theoretically, rhetorically. We can talk about the implications it could have for the economy. All of those things are legitimate points of discussion, and, and I think you and I see eye to eye on that. But this is, these are legal documents, right? These are, these are civil investigative demands, essentially subpoenas, saying you need to tell us more about this because we have laws in our state that might forbid this practice. And, um, and so we want to get them on the record, find out what exactly um, you know, the process has been for them internally. Have they been working together on this? Again, this is 40% of all the banking assets in the United States. And it's not just 2050. There are benchmarks all along the way that, again, will siphon off, cut off lending and capital for energy exploration. The manufacturing of cars, you know, farm loans. I mean, this is pretty far-reaching and uh, deserves scrutiny. Um, so tell me about the uh, election. How are you doing so far? How are you feeling? We're, I mean, we're, we're uh, in a good position. Um, I think we're in a strong position. But I'm running against uh, an heiress uh, of the Anheuser-Busch fortune okay. who is outspending us right now. And, and by the way, you can't make this stuff up, Glenn. You know, my dad worked at Anheuser-Busch seven days a week at the midnight shift. I referenced that. I actually, in college, gave tours and took out the trash at the estate that she grew up on. The media hates this, right? Because you've got somebody <laughs> who says blue-collar roots is who's fighting for working-class families, taking on an out-of-touch limousine liberal. So that's obviously a difference in our backgrounds, but also our beliefs. I mean, she signed on to the Green New Deal. She's campaigning to be the 51st vote um, for the Biden agenda. Would be a total disaster. Is oh. for eliminating the filibuster, packing the court. And so, you know, we've got a tough race here that we're going to um, continue to run through the tape because getting the majority, getting to 51, certainly runs through Missouri. And if, you know, people want to help, they can text Schmidt to three zero four zero nine. We'd appreciate it. We've uh, 
got 14 days to save America here, Glenn. Yeah, I know, I know. Doing everything I can. I know. Um, by the way, she's outspending uh, Eric two to one, and this is what's happening. You know, Nancy Pelosi just came out a couple of days ago and said, and they're just all this dark money is being poured in. What are you talking about? The Democrats are outspending two and three to one in every case. It's crazy the amount of money that they're spending. And it uh, doesn't look like it's working so far. Thank you so well, much. You know, go ahead. Yeah, we'll keep fighting, Glenn. Thanks. We'll keep fighting. Thanks for all that you do. And like I said, everything we talked about today and on your show previously, I'm going to take that same spirit to the Senate. We need more reinforcements in Washington. And I uh, appreciate you having me on. Thank you, Eric. Appreciate it. Eric Schmidt, um, an attorney general I am most impressed with. He has taken the bull by the horns on a few items and is relentless, just relentless, uh, and would be great to have that kind of a wake-up call in the Senate. The best of the Glenn Beck Program. And greetings to you, thrill seekers, conversationalists, and uh, music lovers all across the Bountiful and optimistic fruited plain. It's the Rush Limbaugh program here on the Excellence in Broadcasting Network. And greetings to you, thrill seekers, conversationalists. Catherine Adams Limbaugh. Let me just explain who she is. She was born in Massachusetts. She is a direct descendant from the Mayflower, direct lineage to John and uh, and John Quincy Adams. Catherine uh, has traveled to and lived in over 40 countries on five continents, originally due to her mother's career as an American diplomat and her father's international business career following graduation from the Naval Academy. Throughout her youth, Catherine gained vast, well-rounded experiences, routinely representing the United States abroad, liaisoning with uh, heads of state, ambassadors, and high-ranking military officers, while also witnessing human suffering firsthand, including extreme poverty and disease. Early on, Catherine made it a lifelong mission to help others in times of crisis, encourage people to reach their highest potential. At 15... She taught English as a volunteer while living in a remote country in West Africa. She translated for American military doctors who would set up field hospitals on uh, on missions and raise funds for underprivileged children, leading to a national recognition as Foreign Service Teen of the Year. She is uh, also the co-author of the number one New York Times bestselling Adventures of Rush Revere American History Book Series. Um, she also has been a major player and led major productions, um, part of significant charitable efforts, including Nelson Mandela Invitational in South Africa, the Stand Up for Betsy Ross campaign with her husband, which raised over $5 million for families of first responders. And, of course, she has donated, uh, along with uh, her Family Now Foundation, millions of dollars affected by cancer, illness, and hardship. She was the one who told us on February 17th, 2021, that her husband had passed away. She also said that um, his legacy would continue, and she is doing that in a couple of ways. She is uh, presenting the first ever American Patriot Scholarship in honor of Rush, and uh, she's supporting American military heroes, police, first responders, and Gold Star families through their foundation. She is also, her and her brother, David, uh, I'm sorry, Rush's brother, David, uh, have put together a, um, 
a book, Radio's Greatest of All Time. Catherine, welcome. Hello, Glenn. Goodness, what an introduction. That that certainly wasn't from the New York Times, I don't believe. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was not from the New York Times. <laughs> I believe they have a different version. You but. know, I I was reading I was reading your bio and I thought it, 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 this is this is um, uh, hard to say, strange to say, but truly a uh, an equal to Rush uh, as far as accomplishments. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. I don't know if I can agree in, in full, but yeah. thank you. I, I truly appreciate it very, very much. So the name greatest of all radio's greatest of all time. Is it true that that's what it says on his death certificate? Yes, we have to be on brand at all times. Yeah. <laughs> very important, very important, straight from start to finish. But, but yes, it, it does. And another thing that we wanted to do in a way to, to tweak the media as a final goodbye from Rush, which we know he certainly would have loved. Oh, my but gosh. Someone put that through, <laughs> ironically. Yeah, that I'm not is sure so... who that poor person is that put it through. But yes, it, yes, it, it is. It's <laughs> so, so fantastic. Uh, under occupation radio's greatest of all time um i was there um in the capitol the night he got the um the presidential freedom award um and he always struck me i mean he was he was bombastic on the air you know on loan from god but he always struck me as a very humble person in real life, and I could see that that really deeply moved him that night. You know, he really was. He was incredibly brilliant, incredibly kind, fearless, exceptionally talented in radio, of course, but, but he was truly gifted. But I believe one of his attributes that we all love the most was he was so humble. He had the biggest heart. He was so sincere. He never forgot the little guy. He never became too big. And he never really thought of himself as Rush Limbaugh. We, the name Rush Limbaugh. Yeah. He, he did on the radio, but, but not, not in real life, so to speak. He always tried to have a better show the next day. He never thought that he accomplished the peaks that he did. Um, he always was working so incredibly hard. So, yes, that night meant everything to him. He was very surprised by it. We were actually in Boston. He had geared up to making this announcement on the radio and thought that was basically it, that the secret was out and now he could go about his medical mission, so to speak. And so we left for Boston right after that announcement that day. And there was a call from the president when he was supposed to be going into surgery that said, you really should be in Washington tonight. We thought, oh, (laughs) well, we don't quite have the attire for that or (laughs) the mindset, but but he was so incredibly touched, so honored, so thrilled. It, It meant everything to him. Literally, did he know that that was coming? Did, did was it told to him in the White House, or was that the moment that we all saw? Was that the moment he knew? That was the moment that he knew is going to be presented to him there. He didn't know when we flew up. He didn't know when the president was calling that morning. He only knew 
earlier in in the White House when we spoke with President Trump and their immediate family, who were deeply appreciative, too, of course. But that moment, he didn't know that it was going to be awarded then and there. So everything came at him rapid fire, and his emotions were so sincere. He was actually not feeling well at all that evening. He was going into a pretty significant surgery the next day. So just being there was was quite a feat for him to be there. But having that awarded to him where it was in the forum that it was meant meant everything. He he was a just a young boy from Missouri, as he often said. He he wanted to be on the radio from the time he was eight. But he certainly never dreamed that he would be awarded the Presidential Medal of Freedom in that forum. Uh, you know, his um, I think Rush was um, he felt the same way I feel about my audience and not every host feels this way. They're like family. Yeah. And because you get to know each other while we're at a disadvantage, we don't really get to know the listener we kind of know because if they've been with us for a long time, we know that they've, you know, they're self-selecting. So they're, they're kind of like us, you know, um, how hard was it and how long did he have to hide this from people that he was so sick? It was, it, it was really a surprise to him. He really didn't have symptoms like other people may. So he didn't find out until late January and he announced this in early February. He didn't have wow. to he didn't have to carry it too long, but how did, how did he long. know what why what made him go to the doctor? Actually we were celebrating his birthday and he didn't mention as as most husbands or men may not, mm. he didn't mention that he wasn't particularly feeling well. We were celebrating his birthday and the very next day he started to have difficulty breathing. He was having a heaviness in his chest. He had pain in the back of his shoulder. And I said, you know, this could be related to the heart because he had had a a heart issue at one point. So I I said to him, you know, we really should fly and see your your doctor. We were flying right over his doctor in Chicago. And um, we found out then and there that it, it wasn't the heart and that it was going to need a battery of tests. And we didn't confirm it until probably a week or so later in Boston at Dana-Farber. And um, and then from there, all of the treatment and so forth started. But he did have to carry it for a period of time because he wanted to deliver it in the best possible way. And as you said, like you, his audience means everything to him. They are a brother, a father, a family figure. And he knew that they were going to take this news incredibly hard. So he had to hold it for a period of time, but not too long that potentially it would get out in the news if we were to start treatment or something. You, um, you, start, the, um, you start the book with a conversation that you and Rush had um, in, the, in the hospital on January 12th, about, about a month before he died. Yes. Can you take us back to that? Absolutely. 
this book is very different in that it doesn't read like a typical book. It isn't a, a start and finish type of story. It's more so a collection of Russia's favorite moments, whether it was on air or off air. And some of the times I was recording him talking about reflections. He started this book in early February of 2020. And a lot of the time we were in the hospital during these conversations or these recordings. And one of those conversations was, was about was about that, and it opens up where he was brought a donut by me for his birthday, and he was reflecting on his time in Missouri as a young intern before he became the person that we all know as, as the famous Rush Limbaugh. He was just a young kid with a dream hanging around a radio station in, in his hometown of Cape Girardeau, Missouri, and um, this donut brought him back because he used to be the young kid that would bring donuts, <laughs> fresh baked yep. donuts to to the um, radio station there in his hometown. So he was only about 15 or 16, but that brought him right back. And he had never told that story before. I happened to be recording it, and we transcribed it directly as he said it um, that, that day in the hospital. So... It is amazing to me. We're with Catherine uh, Adams Limbaugh, and uh, she has just put out a book that she and Rush started, and uh, then David came in, David Limbaugh, to help finish. It's radio's greatest of all time. When you're when you're looking through the book, there is one thing that struck me. I, I've led a pretty blessed life for the last 25, 30 years. And Rush is actually the guy who gave permission for me to be on the network at this time. Um, and so he really actually started my career. Um, but um, uh, I've had a blessed career and I've met a lot of people. But when you read this book, my gosh, he knew the giants of history and, and conversed with them and, and worked with them. Were you, when you came in and uh, came into his life, uh, with the experience you have, was that a little odd for you too or not? Is it just me? No, I, I don't think that part was odd as much as how he was talked about in the mainstream media and getting used to that portion of it. Because I came to know and knew who he was off of of the radio and, and who he was in person. And I think the harder thing was knowing how he was talked about when here he was able to relate to, as you said, the heads of state or really anyone, um, top celebrities, key figures. That was Reagan, peer group. Thatcher. Yes, Reagan. I mean, that was his peer group. Yeah. And, and I think how he was talked about in the mainstream media was the harder thing to, to get used to. But in terms of who he interacted with, he was just the same. He was the same person as talking on the radio. He directly spoke to the American people in the same way that he spoke to the President of the United States. He was, he was rushed through and through, which I, I love the most about him. Um, did he ever get used to or did he blow off all the horrible things that were said about him because uh, if you're like my wife my wife probably has a harder time with it than i do yeah i think so 
So, as well, he always said that the media didn't make him and can't break him. So, I, I think that he took it as, as a measure of success. He didn't ever particularly get used to it, but he said the more that they're talking and making things up, I'm obviously effective. So, right. I, yes. I tried to look at it in, in that way as well, but I definitely probably had a harder time than he did with some of the things that are, were said. So what is, uh, we have one minute. Uh, let me think if I can come up with a one minute question because I've got, I've got a lot of philosophical questions for you. And um, Real quick, how did you two meet? We met long ago through friends when I was running a, a charity for Gary Player in the Nelson Mandela uh, Invitational. And did, did, did you know of, did you, were you a fan of his on the radio or not? I was a fan of his and and became more and more a fan as, as time went on, but I did listen early on. But I should just say quickly, Glenn, before we have to go, because I know we're short on time, that proceeds from this book will benefit the children of fallen military heroes. That is very important because this book is not about selling books. It's about inspiring the country. Rush loves the American people and our country with all of his heart. There's 14 days left for a very very important election, and I know Rush is still with us and talking to us. Through so this do book. I. Na, 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 na.